Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hahn. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be reacting to some of the top health IT headlines. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 16 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Man, the headlines have been crazy lately. I mean, <laughs> it feels like, and it was the holidays. Usually it's boring during the holidays. Yes. This run up to the end of the year was quite exciting in terms of healthcare headlines. I mean, it was uh, unlike anything I've seen before, which is great for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. And when you think about the money pouring into healthcare, I think it's not going to go away, right? <laughs> I think the headlines are going to just keep coming. <laughs> I agree. I think we're going to definitely see a, a big news year in 2022. And, and not just because of COVID, obviously, which still is in the headlines, unfortunately, but just because of, you're right, all the other interest from other organizations and all the money entering into healthcare. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah, that's for sure. So, John, I got to ask you, this is the, the big one, of course, that came out late last year, uh, Cerner's acquisition by Oracle. Big, big news. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many ways to look at this. Interestingly enough, the market kind of reacted poorly for Oracle. They, they thought for Oracle, this is a bad acquisition, which I thought was interesting. Although for Cerner, it, it, their shares jumped. So it was a good outcome for them, I guess. Uh, you know, there's so many ways to look at this. You know, let, let's start with what matters. What about Cerner's users? Uh, you know, I think there, uh, I don't know. To me, it's going to be much ado about nothing to some extent. Uh, you know, I think some will be disappointed that they probably will move away from Amazon's cloud infrastructure and towards Oracle's cloud infrastructure. So that could cause some heartache for some users. But I think from the day-to-day Cerner user population, I don't think it's going to be that much different. Maybe Oracle will initially invest more to solve some of the problems like the revenue cycle management, which has been a focus for Cerner for a while. And maybe they'll really push to solve some of that. And maybe you'll see a, you know some initial investment. And then over time, like usually happens in these acquisitions, that they you know stop investing in the same way. But at least initially, I don't think it's going to be a major thing for most of the customers. Yeah, I agree. From a customer perspective, I don't expect to see a lot of change uh, from the uh, Cerner user community in terms of operationally or even technology-wise. I think they're pretty much on the track they're on, right? Yes, I think I agree with you that there will be a general shift towards Oracle's cloud infrastructure as a way away from Amazon. But at the same time, I think if they were smart, they'd probably allow for both. There's just maybe as an incentive to go to Oracle as opposed to, oh, it doesn't work on Amazon, right? Or, or things <laughs> like that. Um, but, but I, you know, where, first of all, I think uh, from an Oracle perspective, I think obviously this gets them into healthcare in a big way. I mean, they were one of the few tech uh, organizations that sort of hadn't made a lot of waves in the healthcare space yet. They were sort of always on the fringe. Uh, so this obviously puts them both feet firmly into the, into the healthcare world, uh, and it's sort of typical of Oracle's history, right? Where they sort of wait on the sidelines a little bit and then they jump in. Um, so I think it's actually pretty exciting for Oracle, even though I think maybe what the market was recognizing is maybe they overpaid a little bit 
Um, maybe the revenues that they were anticipating from Cerner are not going to be as high as you know the market believes it will be. But certainly from a uh, long-term strategy, I think it made total sense for Cerner to get in, uh, sorry, for Oracle to get into this business. Well, and what's fascinating about this is that Cerner is, runs on Oracle. So you have to think that, you know, Cerner customers are one of Oracle's biggest client bases. So in some ways, they just bought their client base to ensure that the success of the future is there for them and Oracle selling those products into healthcare and having those connections. Uh, you know, and, and maybe they've seen some of the bleeding that Cerner's had to Epic, uh, you know, as far as wins and losses. And they're like, we need to turn this and write the ship because otherwise our bottom line is going to be impacted if a bunch of healthcare clients you know, move from Cerner to Epic. So maybe they will invest in that regard to ensure that they continue to buy the Oracle products. So there's an element there that, that could be interesting. I did hear one person say, though, that anyone that was debating it now, whether they should go with Cerner or Epic, they thought would probably go towards Epic because they're like, oh, too much uncertainty with the acquisition and all that. And there is a transition period that happens, but I'm not sure that's fully the case, but I'm hearing that out in the, uh, in, in the Twitter sphere, et cetera. You know, what's interesting for me about this acquisition is what will happen to the Cerner ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's one of the areas that, um, you know, in, in terms of um, a degree of change, I think there, there could be a big change there, right? Because Oracle obviously has their own partner network and ecosystem. Will the Cerner one be rolled underneath? Mm. Uh, will you now see some of the Oracle partners now get into the Cerner space, right? And, and, and increase the size of the ecosystem and improve it and, and diversify it. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of interesting things that tend to happen when an acquisition like this happens. And and I'm curious to see uh, what will happen with the Cerner ecosystem because they spent a lot of time building that over the last few years. Um, now, will all of a sudden that be transferred over to be run by the Oracle Partnership Group, right? which runs very differently, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think there, I think, again, over time, I think customers will benefit from this because Oracle's ecosystem is much more broad and much more diverse, and especially when you start looking at the IoT world. Um, I think there, Oracle does bring a big advantage to Cerner customers. Yeah. There's also an international element here that Cerner actually has been doing quite successfully. I mean, they've been having challenges, I think, in the U.S. against Epic, but internationally, Cerner has been quite successful. And if you think about partnered with Oracle, who has their fingers in every single country sure. <laughs> and every large organization and every in every country, that may be the big opportunity for Cerner is to grow their international presence even faster than they were doing previously. So there is an international element there. And then there's also a data element, right? I mean, I don't think any one of us would say Cerner and Epic are in trouble and that 10 years from now, they're not going to be large companies, right? They will be, sure. right? <laughs> and so Cerner, you know, even without the acquisition, et cetera, was going to be successful and have a large customer base. And so, you know, like, under Oracle, you know, they're going to have some opportunities to continue to grow and be successful. And they're going to have access to all that data. And we know how valuable data has become. I don't think we've fully realized that in healthcare. And some of us are scared of what fully realizing value of health data is. But, you know, there's an opportunity there for them to be extremely valuable because they have access to the data. And we see that in some of their 
AI products, right? How do they learn, you know, what they do? Well, now they have access to this treasure trove of data from certain customers that they can use to train those AI bots. Totally hear you. Totally hear you. And that'll be interesting to see, especially with as the amount of data just continues to grow in 2022, obviously. Yep. Moving on to another headline, John, another big one, of course, the recent verdicts that have come down in the Theranos case. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes has been in the news for months. And finally, we've got uh, the jury coming back and you know she being indicted on, on found guilty, at least on four counts uh, of fraud. What do you make of that? Yeah. So the initial reaction from people is like, of course, she was indicted on all the ways she misled investors, but none of she wasn't indicted on any of the ones that were patient. And I get where they're coming from. Like it is, you know, it feels like patients don't matter. Venture capitalists matter. Money matters. The, you know, the, the little person on the totem pole doesn't matter. But I I think that's reading too much into legalese. And so we shouldn't, you know, put our cultural values on what the legal system decides. I mean, we have that happen all the time where maybe some murderer is let off because the way that they captured the evidence was incorrect. And so they couldn't use the evidence, even though it was quite clear that they, you know, that person was a murderer. And it's awful. It's an awful part of our justice system, but we shouldn't have our cultural values depend on the justice system trying to do those. It's clear to all of us that she screwed over a lot of patients. She doesn't need to be, whether she's indicted for it or not, right. like we know that that's the case and that that's uncalled for. And she's going to be held accountable for that, I think. Uh, you know, what, if it's not in the justice system, at least in the system of popular opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know what? I'm not a legal expert. I'm neither are you. I, I can't really figure out like why they did or didn't indict on some or come back with a guilty verdict on some and not others. But but definitely, I think it was um, a blow for patients not to have at least gotten some validation that they were impacted. Because I think, unfortunately, the coverage is going to say, well, you know, she didn't mean to impact patients, so they were okay. Like, somehow it's okay, right? Like, and it's not, clearly, because... People had their lives turned upside down, yeah. and, you know, for the, for the period where they had to go get a, a, you know, between the time they got the Theranos test back and the time they got a validation test done, you know, there's all that worry and concern. And, you know, you know, I just, I feel for all those patients that came and told their stories about, they thought they had cancer or they thought they were having a miscarriage and, you know, only to find out later that, it, you know, went through another test that it wasn't the case. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously this is uh, an indictment of, of, uh, fraud in the sense of, you know, completely, you know, there's one thing to over-exaggerate <laughs> or overstate your capabilities. This got into like just reading some of the transcripts and some of the coverage. I mean, it was crazy, right? Like you look back on it and go like, how, when you have like so many people telling you this didn't work and you know yourself that you had to use another company's machine to even produce their test results because yours didn't work. I mean, how can you continue to go on and saying that yours was the best, right? Like that is just, to me, you know, it's an indictment of that. And thankfully, you know, the, 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 the verdicts came back to say, yes, at least they found her guilty about those things. Yeah. And the show up to pay some price for the choices she made. I mean, you know, not, not to justify what she's doing because she deserves the punishments of the choices she made. Uh, 
But, you know, when you read the pressure she was under, it, it gives some understanding of why someone could make a decision that you and I looking back in, you know, <laughs> Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, look at it and say, how could someone do that? Right. And when you see the pressure she was under and the, the kind of world she was living in, it makes at least a little more sense. Right. Like she's still accountable for it and she should be. Right. But at least it makes some sense why. But the other reaction for me that was so uh, interesting to see was how many women said, thank goodness, she needs to be held accountable. She's put women back in entrepreneurship further back than any men ever did. That was a, a tweet I saw from one of the women entrepreneurs who was like, good riddance, right? You, you know, you screwed a lot of women that, you know, now, you know, VCs don't trust us, et cetera. You know, so that reaction was interesting for me as well. Yeah. Hard to argue against that. Right. Like to, you know, I think she set back a lot of different, um, uh, yeah. groups, you know, women, even the testing, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, blood testing in general, uh, biotech startups. Right. Um, you know, now everyone's going to look over their show, look at a company and kind of go, uh, are they the next Theranos or are they next, the next Google? Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's that, that it's always going to be in the mind. Of, Isn't that kind um, of healthy though? Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, people should, I mean, people should be looking at it, but I don't think, I don't think people go into uh, in investing looking for fraud. Like, I don't think that's the first thing on people's minds when they're making yeah. an investment. I think now with given the high profile of this uh, case, I think now there's gonna be a lot more scrutiny around that. Right. And, um, and I think over, you know, again, in the long term, it would be a good thing, right? But in the certainly in the short term, I think there's a hefty, hefty skepticism around this type of technology, even though some of the technology may be helpful, right? In very sort of narrow use cases. She set those companies back decades. Yeah, for sure. I've heard from one that was that said it basically that no one trusts us what we're trying to do because of Theranos. Because and of so Theranos. they have a huge bar. And I wonder if this is why so many health IT companies are funded outside of the Valley because her thinking and her mindset is the Valley mindset of, you know, and it really started with Steve Jobs and some of those early ones, right? I think they call it the uh, reality vortex that he creates. That's like, <laughs> that's right. you know, that, that created amazing results, you know, where it wasn't expected. And so, trying to do that in healthcare just feels very different. So is that why Kansas city has Cerner, right? And, and Verona, Wisconsin has Epic and there's a number of them in Boston, Meditex in Boston, et cetera. Yeah. I mean that they're coming from non-traditional places because that reality vortex, Silicon Valley, break it quickly, fail fast, just maybe doesn't work quite the same way in healthcare. It might not. It might not. I mean, for me, I think that the, this, you know, as the story broke and as the news started to come out, what was fascinating for me about this whole thing was just how many bubbles there were, bubbles within bubbles, right? There was sort of Elizabeth Holmes living in her own reality bubble of, you know, hey, like I can do this and I believe in the technology and we can make this work and, you know, just give us enough time and money and et cetera, et cetera, right? Then there, then there was the bubble of the investors, right? Like just how the yeah. investors got duped. And then there was the the bubble sort of, you know, around, um, I'll call it uh, her, herself in the terms of, you know, to your point, John, the pressure she was under, the the, the personal situation that she had, right? And I don't, I don't I, that bubble, I don't understand. Like, I can't imagine. Um, yeah. And then, then there's the Silicon Valley bubble, right? The, 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 where that sort of created this environment where it was so results driven, where it was results at all costs, right? Which drove yeah. 
you know, her and others in that company to make those very, very poor decisions, right? Which in the light of regular society, right? Or anyone outside of the Silicon Valley bubble look at this and go, that's just crazy, right? Like, why would you make those decisions? Yeah. But, but when you're in these bubbles, it is very hard, right? Like it, you know, we were on our own bubble, right? Of health IT. Like we're yeah, very it makes you wonder what bubbles we're in, right? <laughs> but, and that was to me, that was the most fascinating part of this, right? And if anything good can come out of just you know, sort of observing this would be, you know, what bubble am I in, right? Like what bubbles am I, do I exist in that maybe I need to explore and get out of? Because it, it became very clear that she was in multiple bubbles that were not really connected to reality. Yeah. I wonder about the employee bubble, you know, I haven't seen that one as explored as much. And I'm sure there was, there were people calling, you know, crying wolf and, and not being heard, et cetera, I'm sure. But I, I look at it also, uh, what is challenging about the situation? It was how much we wanted this to be true. Sure. Like, and how that drove the narrative, whether it was the press, whether it was the venture capitalists, we wanted it to be true that just with a simple blood stick, you could do these complicated labs like we want is insatiable you know as opposed to you know the next social network you know that's not insatiable whereas this could actually impact so many human lives and would transform the healthcare industry that we almost wanted to will it into being because it was such a desired outcome no you're, you're right i mean i think you know at the beginning we were all hopeful, right? Like when we heard about these technolo- this technology. And- we still are, right? Like yeah. We still <laughs> We still, those of us insiders still are. It's just, I think no one's going to fund this for a while. But yeah, I mean, we, we all hoped that this was, this was, I also would liken this, I would lump you biome into the same category, right? With, with a single analysis of, of your biome, you could figure out whether or not you had a predilection for certain diseases or had a current, uh, current condition we all hope that these are the cases because we, we know when you're able to detect something early, uh, you're, you're able to cut costs and recover, right? Like, so we all want this. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, in both those cases, it ended up being the technology was the house of cards. Yeah. And we're seeing the value of this, right? I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, the alive core EKG and being able to understand it or the continuous glucose monitors that are out there for diabetes, we've seen some, the impact of having the right data available quickly. You know, my friend just sent me his son's continuous glucose monitor screening. He's like, I can see my son's glucose at any moment of time. And it's like, how beautiful is that? You know, I, I know at uh, the CES conference, Withings is announcing a new scale that actually has a six lead ECG on the scale. And it's like, so people are innovating in this way to get the data that we need that's medically relevant. But, and so we really want this, but unfortunately Theranos was a bad example that set back a lot of the efforts. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're reacting to some of the top healthcare and health IT headlines that have passed our desks over the last couple of months. Uh, John, let's switch topics a little bit. Uh, something totally different, ransomware uh, and the big outage that was caused by Kronos being hit by, the, uh, by their ransomware uh, attack. Yeah. What's fascinating about the Kronos ransomware incident is that it 
crossed industries. <laughs> like, I mean, it's Kronos is huge everywhere. I mean, I remember checking into Kronos when I was working an hourly job, right? You had to be there. You couldn't do it five minutes before, et cetera, et cetera. But right. so, you know, it's, it's in so many industries, but in healthcare, it's just huge. I mean, we see that when we go to the major health IT conferences, Kronos has a big presence. And so the fact that the ransomware happened was just impacting so many of these hourly workers, which is the unfortunate part. You know, how do they track it? what are they doing i saw one organization one hospital system that put up a form basically a digital form <laughs> to replace the whole timekeeping at least like let us know what time you're working right and had their id and whatever certainly wasn't as a solid a solution as what chronos offers but they were just trying to survive other ones are just paying past checks and then say hey we'll reconcile it later and figure it out but man, what an impact to have. And the other impact is the question of the cloud. So this was a, an issue of the cloud ransomware incident that everyone had relied upon the cloud. And now we're seeing the downstream impacts of that investment in the cloud. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, what was fascinating about this story, I mean, we know ransomware happens. I don't blame Kronos for that part of it. However, what struck me about this story that stuck out for me was the length of time they said it was going to take to recover from this. It was weeks. Like they say they could be down for weeks. And I was like, man, that like, you should have been more, like I felt like you should have been a little bit more prepared for this. Like, what about your recovery? I mean, you know, if a tornado hit or a hurricane hit, I'm sure you'd be up and running back in a few hours or maybe a days or so. But when I saw the word weeks before they recover, you know, wow, that's a severe incident. They clearly weren't as prepared for it. The other one, of course, yes, was the scope, as you just mentioned, just in terms of the number of people impacted by this singular attack, right? Because Kronos is everywhere and it is cloud-based. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just showed that, you know, with that area of operations in particular, there was an acceptance that this was the way to do it, like to just farm it out, um, do it on the cloud. And yeah, you heard all these stories about people having to go back to manual punch cards and tracking this stuff manually. There was no backup to this right it wasn't like people had a backup plan to say okay when this goes when this happens here's an alternative no no no. they had to create a form people are doing this manually it was crazy to try and track all these hours i have to say it was fun to put the card in and have it you know like so maybe that you know i wonder if anyone's done that and they renamed it chrono system or something but you know it's interesting though to your point uh, it's, it's like how damaging it was and how unprepared they were and I think there's a lesson here for healthcare organizations that, you know, if they had implemented proper backups and proper, et cetera, you know, you, you'd have to think they wouldn't have to go that far and they wouldn't be down for that long while they dealt with the ransomware incident. Um, and so that to me is the lesson for all healthcare organizations. What is your business continuity strategy? How are you approaching backups? Are you able to restore those backups and testing all of those? I mean, we heard them through things like Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, you know, those, but it's like ransomware could happen to anyone at any time. It's like the natural disaster that could happen in any situation, regardless of where you live. And so every organization needs to think about that. It also brings up the interesting question. I would love to see the business associate agreements for all these healthcare organizations and how they vetted 
the Kronos cloud <laughs> solution. And I bet there's a, a number of CISOs that are looking at it and saying, man, maybe we could do better at understanding the business continuity strategies of these cloud providers that are providing for us and understand in detail how they're doing it because we don't want to have this downtime again. And I would say it's not just the week's downtime, but I would say the real issue with Kronos is they don't know when it's going to come back, right? Like right. they're like, but they knew it was going to be at least weeks. And, and when you say that, you're like, so you really don't know because you didn't have a proper strategy behind it. And so, you know, I, I wonder if a lot of healthcare organizations are reaching out to their business partners and saying, wait, let's uh, dive a little more in here and make sure that you're doing stuff properly. And I know there's companies like Sensinet that, that help in this process of kind of vetting and understanding third-party risk. And I think they're going to be the big winners in these types of situations because the, that way, you know, if Mayo Clinic has already done a third-party risk assessment for Kronos, well, then maybe this rural health provider can benefit from that and just layer on top of it. Right. Right. I just feel for any any of the frontline workers, obviously, who were impacted by not being able to get a paycheck or getting a paycheck for a lesser amount because no one can figure out how many hours they worked. Right. Uh, so uh, I feel for anyone who's impacted, obviously, on the front lines, uh, you know, who, who use Kronos for their paychecks. Uh, yeah. And the expense. I mean, I just feel bad for all those payroll people. It's going to be miserable. <laughs> it's going to be a miserable few weeks. John, we, we can't end this episode without at least talking about the return of a topic we hoped we did not see in the headlines anymore. But that, of course, is COVID. It is back and it is in the headlines with the Omicron virus or variant spreading across the countries and around the world. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a little different this time because, uh, you know, we have 10 times the spread, but the damage is a tenth of it or whatever the numbers are. You know, I don't follow it close enough to know exactly. But but what's interesting is that mass still means that thousands are impacted, hospitals are overwhelmed, elective procedures are being yep. delayed. Uh, you know, I, I think what's going to be interesting is to see how did healthcare organizations respond the second time, you know, like the first time we were all just scrambling to survive. Right. Uh, but now how many put into place things like telehealth, which helped to prevent overwhelmed EDs or screening processes that did the same thing, right. To be able to avoid that overwhelming, you know, flow of people who really don't need to be there, but because they're there, you have to see them. So I, I wonder how many did. And then on the other side, how many didn't, right? And so I think there's going to be some important lessons for us to, to look at as we see, okay, with this second surge, if you will, or this increase of, of COVID, how many prepared and were able to weather it in a better way and how many didn't? Yeah, for me, you know, first of all, feel, feel for anybody who's impacted by Omicron or who's suffering from it. Uh, even if they didn't end up in the hospital, I, I, you know, it still hits you and you're out for yeah. a few days. Um, you know, thankfully it does seem to be less severe. There's not as many stories about people ending up in the ICU because of this variant, but because of the, um, the, um, contagiousness of it, like so many more people are getting it mm -hmm. for me. What, what's uh, interesting is the lack of data that is coming out in terms of who is actually ending up in the hospitals, right? Like in, you know, I know last time we, we started to get 
but in the second way, we started to get data around like vaccinated versus unvaccinated and the impact it was having. So, you yeah. know, hey, like if you want to get vaccinated, you'll increase that's your there, chance. Finally, the breakthrough right. cases. And, and we've seen that 25% breakthrough cases here in Nevada versus before it was 5%. So, right. Right. But, but in terms of like, I guess for me, you know, we've been in Omicron now for a little bit and we knew it was coming. Yet we're not seeing, at least I'm not seeing a lot of data around, okay, well, we st- we're seeing some data around vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but of the cases of the ones where it was a breakthrough, what were some of the other things that maybe helped contribute to that? You know, did, was this all because of family transmission? Was this all because of X or Y? Like, cause right now I feel like we're fumbling in the dark again to go, okay, well, yes, I know we're going to get it, but like, where are people getting it? And why are these people ending up in the hospital? Whereas these people are not. Because I will do the things that try to keep me out of the hospital, right? Right now, we're all operating blindly again, right? We're just shutting down things. We're going back to what we did in the second one. We th- I thought by now we would be a little bit more precise, right? Yeah. To say, oh, okay, you know what? It's airborne or it's not. Or you know what? It, hap- it happens at restaurants or it doesn't, right? Like, yeah. anyway, we're, we're, I thought we would have learned by now. Yeah, the lack of testing is missing. The tracing is so, it feels like the tracing is impossible because of how it's spreading. You know, the thing that disturbs me is that because it's so widespread, we're going to have doctors and nurses out because they get it at some place. And so that's going to cause strain on our health organizations. I mean, we saw that. I heard someone predict that for the schools. They're like, whether they shut down the schools or not, there may not be the teachers there to actually run the schools. So, you know, we may not have that choice. So I, I, I think that is going to be a challenge for all of us to run through. I mean, you know, I, I go back to how lucky we are that we work remotely and we sit in our home and we're somewhat protected and shielded from it. And, uh, and I think about all those people that were forced back to the office, you know, how many employers, you know, went and said, okay, you, you know, back to the office. And now you're like, no, I don't really want to. And th- there's going to be a battle there. And I think that's unfortunate because remote work we've, we've learned is possible and can be done for pretty much almost everything. <laughs> yeah. If, if the impact of Omicron on the airlines is any indication, we're in for some interesting economic disruption, not because, you know, uh, you know, people are forcing X or Y or anything. It's just because, yeah, you know what? You're sick. And I, you know, I can't come. I don't want to come to the office because I don't want to spread this to other people. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, it's crazy how many flights have been canceled already. There's shortages around, you know, even, even logistics, right? Like sh- shipping companies and things like that. You're, and we've already heard some of the hospitals going, yeah, we're suffering from 20% less uh, staff just because they're out um, and having to recover from, from Omicron. Yep. Hey, listen, thanks to all of you who've tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lee. Thanks for listening and have a great week.